uh, even Attorney General Holder has sort of implicitly admitted that uh, that a military commission tribunal is preferable to a uh, an Article Three court because there's a better chance of getting a conviction. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi. I'm a lawyer in Massachusetts, and I co-author of the blog Legal Blog Watch for Law.com and my own blogs, Law Sites and Media Law. And surprisingly, I'm a lawyer from California. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I write I a legal blog. I was wondering what you did, Craig, out there. Yeah, I, me too. I, never, I don't think we've ever said that before. <laughs> um, <laughs> I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court, and uh, I have a book out called How to Get Sued, if that's not a clue that I'm a lawyer. And uh, today's show, Bob, is sponsored by Clio, which is a web-based practice management software for lawyers at GoClio.com. Well, uh, Craig, the self-confessed mastermind behind the 911 attacks, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, and four other suspects will head to New York City for uh, just blocks from ground zero to face federal trial in civilian court. Uh, And the news of that is creating quite the controversy. Well, Attorney General Eric Holder has been on the hot seat uh, in front of Congress, and he also plans, he says he plans to seek the death penalty against all five men with the goal to ultimately close Guantanamo. Today, we're going to get reaction to this federal trial in New York civilian court and the ongoing legal work in Guantanamo and ultimately the closing of Guantanamo. To help us uh, consider this today are two guests. Joining us first today is Attorney Tara L. Murray, uh, attorney for Reprieve out of London. Uh, Tara joined Reprieve in October 2009 as a U.S. attorney working on Guantanamo cases and assisting in Reprieve's efforts to resettle clients who cannot safely be repatriated to their home countries. Reprieve uses the law to enforce the human rights of prisoners from death row to Guantanamo Bay. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Lawyer Attorney Tara Murray. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks. Bob, our next guest is attorney Gregory S. McNeil. He is a visiting assistant professor of law at Penn State's Dickinson School of Law, and he blogs at lawandterrorism.com. Professor McNeil's research focuses on criminal law and procedure, counterterrorism, and national security law. Previously, uh, Greg served as legal consultant to the chief prosecutor for the Department of Defense Office of Military Commissions and co-directed a Department of Justice counterterrorism cooperation program between senior prosecutors in the United States and their European counterparts. He has advised or consulted with the staff of congressional committees, Fortune 500 companies, foreign governments, and the Iraqi High Tribunal. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Professor Greg McNeil. Well, thanks for having me. There's been a bit of a firestorm over uh, bringing these five suspects to trial in a New York civilian court as opposed to a military court. Um, Greg, let's let's start with your thoughts about that. Uh, well, cer- yes, yeah, certainly a firestorm is a, is a good way to put it. It's, uh, there, uh, Eric Holder was even uh, testifying it, uh, about it today, and um, it's basically um, provided us an opportunity to rehash some of the arguments that were had during uh, the Bush administration, except now um, it's uh, the Obama administration in charge. 
um, and many of the critics are trying to figure out um, how to how to direct their criticism, I think, against him, because not only was Khalid Sheikh Mohammed transferred to New York City for trial, um, along with four others, uh, five other individuals were designated for trial in a military commission. So it's not a full rejection of the Bush administration policies by the Obama administration. Rather, it seems to be a uh, a rehashing of Bush administration policies with just a, a forum discretion decision that uh, that critics on the right seem to be unhappy with. And um, so I think that's probably a good summation of the, of the firestorm. And Tara, from where you sit in London, what's your perspective on this? Well, I think the choice to try these men in civilian courts definitely signals a step in the right direction. It shows that the Obama administration is championing the rule of law and is sticking to American principles of justice and due process and stepping out of the legal black hole that is the military commissions and trial by military commission uh, by ensuring essentially that, that the society in which the crime was committed judges those suspected of involvement in that crime. And so I think it's a, it signals definitely a step in the right direction. But uh, as as Greg noted, uh, the fact that it's not an entire abandonment of military commissions, which um, have been routinely uh, and consistently uh, questioned and and, and uh, have just been seen as, as a miscarriage of justice, uh, is regretful. Well, why do you think there has been such a backlash against this, Greg? I mean, why everybody from Sarah Palin uh, to just about everybody, and, and at least on the conservative side of the coin, is coming out and condemning this? Why? Why this backlash? Sure, I, I think you know on the on the surface level, um, the, there's the natural po- political reasons for there to be a backlash, right? You know, people can score points um, by attacking this, but I, I think there are also some some practical implications that that we need to bear in mind. And so let's just sort of think of the issues that are raised by trying Khalid Sheikh Mohammed in New York as opposed to trying him in a military commission. And so some of the things that can come up um, in this trial are: is this the correct venue, setting aside the federal court part, is New York City the right venue versus somewhere else in the United States? Uh, that's sort of the first issue. The, the next issue is uh, the question of, of coerced testimony. Um, is there the possibility that a judge is going to dismiss this case because of uh, some outrageous conduct on the part of the government or uh, or to not allow certain evidence to be admissed because it was, admitted because it was uh, derived from, from coercion or even torture? Um, what type of uh, chaos might we see in the court Room, um, whether the conspirators uh, are represented by counsel or if they decide to exercise their right to defend themselves, um, is the if if they're convicted, is the death penalty a uh, is that going to be uh, a martyrdom uh, viewed as martyrdom for them, or uh, will a New York jury even return um, a, a death conviction, or um, uh, will, will they will they just sentence him to to uh, life in prison, and then uh, a whole bunch of other sort of like things spin out of control on this. The uh, uh, Is there a danger to New York City or to New York jurors? There's some uh, some federal uh, judicial center reports that suggest that serious measures need to be taken in these types of cases to protect uh, jurors and the courthouses. Um, I probably can think of five or six other things. Um, uh, one of the big ones that I, I think probably Tara would agree with is, as a controversial issue is if, if these people are acquitted or only sentenced to light sentences, um, 
will they ever be released, or will the Obama administration exercise their authority under uh, uh, under the laws of war to continue to preventively detain these individuals despite the fact that they were either acquitted or served out a sentence? Uh, and that's even before we get into the biggest issue. I think is the is how classified information is going to be handled in the trial. So um, when you set aside the political uh, issues, there really are a lot of uh, of more complicated issues with dealing with these cases in federal court rather than in a military commission. It's not that a federal court's incapable, it's that things have now become more complicated and the, the calculus has changed for the, for, for the federal government. Tara, what's your take on it? Well, I definitely think that there are serious challenges uh, posed by, by having these trials in, in U.S. civilian courts rather than military commissions. Uh, but I do think that those challenges are, are best met by by a judiciary that's had over 200 years of experience. Uh, and it would not be the, the first time in uh, United States history where terrorism trial took place in U.S. civilian courts. Uh, this has routinely been the place where uh, individuals who were suspected of terrorist acts uh, in the United States are, are tried and are, are brought to justice. Um, just in New York alone, there have been several cases uh, that have been tried uh, in the same court that Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and, and the other men uh, are, are anticipated to be, be tried in. And so... Um, I think that while challenges, uh, I think Greg, Greg did a good job kind of brushing through the, the challenges that, that will be posed and, and will have to be addressed by the courts, I believe that, that the courts, the federal court system is uh, equipped to handle it. It's interesting that one of the people who've come out uh, against this is uh, the, the Andrew McCarthy, who was the, the prosecutor in the 1993 uh, World Trade Center bombings. Uh, and it seems to be, the arguments almost seem to be whether these people deserve a, a fair trial in, in our sense of the word. I mean, or whether they can get it. Uh, is there a, is there an implicit uh, distrust in the, in the ability of the American legal system to handle this case? I mean, is that at all at the core of what's, what's going on here, Greg? Uh, you know, I, right. So there, there are two sort of categories of arguments. I think I, I might come up with more than two, but I think the one cat, broad category is sort of the the argument that uh, Andy McCarthy has made arguments in both of the categories I'm about to outline. But Senator Lieberman, for example, has made the argument that these people aren't entitled to these types of trials. You'll hear the argument that this is war, um, therefore these people shouldn't be tried in in a in a civilian court. There's there's that sort of one broad category. It speaks to entitlement to rights, particularly entitlement to U.S. constitutional rights as opposed to um, fair trial rights that are not derived from the United States Constitution. And so that's one category of, of criticism here. The other category of criticism, which McCarthy also makes, is, is more practical, that, the, that, it, that his experience in the 93 World Trade Center bombing was that, uh, in, in that case, the, uh, and also in the embassy bombing cases, that classified information or sensitive information, uh, and there's a distinction there, was revealed, um, and this is Attorney General McCasey's argument, and Attorney General McCasey was also a judge in one of these uh, terrorism trials in New York. Uh, his argument is that this provides a cornucopia of intelligence for al-Qaeda, because certain information has to be disclosed and has to be disclosed in uh, in uh, public documents, and this makes for the possibility that, uh, that, that America's enemies will be able to glean 
glean information from these trials that they otherwise wouldn't uh, wouldn't have had. Uh, there's enough people saying that, that that it's a serious concern, and the question is how will the court system balance that serious concern of protecting secret information against the defendant's uh, right to a fair trial and. Some mechanisms exist, like the Classified Information Procedures Act, um, but those are not complete mechanisms um, when balanced against a defendant, particularly a defendant who decides that they're going to represent themselves. As I was asking that question, I'm sorry, I just I found the quote I was looking for, which is uh, McCarthy says, uh, the civilian criminal justice system is neither designed for nor capable of handling wartime detention cases. The basic presumptions of the civilian system, innocence, privacy, the preference uh, that the prosecution lose any case in which there is the slightest doubt about guilt, have no bearing on the detention of enemy operatives in wartime. He wrote that in the National Review. Um, yeah, and so right he, there he's speaking to a different issue, I think, and that's the issue of detention. I mean, M- McCarthy's uh, point is that he thinks that there should be a system uh, in place that allows for preventive detention of uh, of alleged terrorists, largely because there are the, there is the possibility that when you get into court that uh, that these cases might be uh, that you might lose the case, right? I mean, even even um, uh, even Attorney General Holder has sort of implicitly admitted that uh, that a military commission tribunal is preferable to a uh, an Article Three court because there's a better chance of getting a conviction. They don't say that outright, but they say that they're uh, in their policy guidelines for determining where an individual will be tried. One of the considerations is the likely outcome of the case. And so uh, the former chief prosecutor for the military commission said, this is sort of like saying that uh, that if we have good evidence, you'll get the Cadillac justice in the Article Three court, but if you don't, if we don't have good evidence, you'll get the Pinto justice down in the military. Military commissions, and that it's unfair to have these two different uh, two different systems. And I, I think that's a uh, that's a fair argument uh, to make. That you either make a decision here that you're trying um, wartime type combatants in in the military commission um, or in a civilian court, but mixing and matching the categories of of, uh, of defendants sends a pretty big signal that uh, there must be some outcome determinative reason for making the form selection decision. And I think that's exactly right. Um, I, I think that, you know, it's interesting that uh, Michael Mukasey, who, who Greg mentioned earlier, uh, the, the former attorney general, noted that it was anticipated that the, the prisoners who, if they were going to be tried at all, they would be tried in military commissions where the touchstone of admissibility was just apparent uh, reliability and simply relevance. And so the standards uh, and, and the due process standards wouldn't be as high. And so I, I think uh, it's exactly right that, that we're left wondering why certain individuals are uh, in, entitled to more justice uh, in a civilian court and others are, are subjected to kind of a lesser standard uh, of due process and lesser rights in military tribunals. Yeah, I, I think, and so, uh, you know, Tara and I seem to agree on this point, and I think where where critics are coming down on this, uh, both critics from the left and the right, are now now saying, okay, if we accept that, and Tara probably doesn't agree with the, the oh, I won't speak for Tara, but I, I know there are people who don't agree with the existence of the military commissions and the Article Three court system, but if you agree that you're going to have two different forums, then the, some of the criticism now is that it doesn't even make sense why Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was sent to the Article Three Court and others were sent to the Military Commission, that that, that forum selection decision doesn't even seem to make sense because, uh, because 
the people who were tried in the military commissions attacked uh, attacked military targets, um, but only injured a few people. They get the lesser justice for attacking uh, for attacking legitimate military targets. But those who attacked civilians who are not legitimate targets under any sort of uh, view of of warfare get the better justice. So it's uh, if you're if you believe that. Justice systems create incentives. The incentive for a, a, uh, a rationally acting uh, terrorist is, well, I'm going to attack civilians instead of military because then I can go have my grandstanding in an Article Three court if I'm eventually captured. And so it, it doesn't really make sense on sort of logic, uh, on the grounds of logic, let alone on the grounds of policy. Tara, can you outline for us what you think the defense case is going to be in this situation? If you're a defense lawyer, what do you, what do you expect the, the the lawyers to put up. Well, I first want to just note that um, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and has indicated that both he and the other men are interested in getting this over quickly. And you know, he's already admitted his 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 guilt in this case. And so I don't know how much of a defense there's really going to be here. This might be a situation where uh, there's a guilty plea and we're, we're looking at sentencing and everything everything is done rather quickly. But assuming that it does get that far, um, I think that the, the main thing that a defense attorney is going to want to do is to highlight the the fact that obviously their clients have been have been tortured and have been uh, subjected to horrible abuse while in U.S. custody. This is both uh, during the time that, that we've known about, uh, which is you know since 2003, when there's been an acknowledgement that Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was was picked up by the United States, and even prior to that, where it's it's known and and, and widely suspected that he was in secret. You know, he was held in secret detention uh, by the United States. And so I think there's going to be an issue challenging uh, challenging the evidence there and challenging whether or not uh, this evidence that was procured via torture is going to be admissible. I think the, the defense attorneys, that, that's going to be heavily litigated. Um, just the, the amount of time that it's taken to get to court. Um, as we stated, yeah, it, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was was apparently turned over in in Pakistan in 2003. It's been now over six years, uh, and and he's just now kind of uh, being faced with the opportunity to to go into to U.S. courts to face these charges. And so I think um, just the delay is also going to be uh, be something that is, is going to be raised by the defense. And so I mean I, I think these are these are going to be the main issues that are that you're going to see and that you're going to be hearing about. Um, um, but I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't hold my breath to see if, if there's there's actually going to be um, a trial in this case, considering the fact that even before the military commissions, these men have, have stated their intention to kind of plead guilty and get this over with quickly. And we, and we have the president of the United States today issuing a statement uh, or saying publicly that he he thinks uh, he predicts uh, he's predicting the outcome of the case that that uh, Muhammad will be convicted and executed. Uh, uh, yes, uh, probably not a good idea for for the president of the United States to weigh in that way, like that when you know that uh, you're going to face a trial, uh, you're going to face a challenge to whether or not um, uh, uh, the defendants here can get a fair trial. Um, I mean, I I think it's unlikely they're going to get a fair trial. Uh, I mean. 
it's unlikely that the that the nature of the trial it'll get will vary from uh, the Southern District of New York to even if you tried it somewhere else um, in the country. I don't I don't think you'll really change the the nature of the jury pool that much. Other than perhaps the jury pool in the Southern District might have been uh, directly exposed to the uh, to the to the attacks as opposed to someone uh, elsewhere who might not have been. But uh, it's probably not prudent for the President of the United States to make those types of predictions. But uh, going uh, sort of back to the question that you posed to Tara, I, I think that uh, I think everyone would be happy if there was not a uh, if there was not a trial and that and that the. Uh, that the conspirators pled guilty here, because um, what the government might face is if uh, if KSM and and, uh, his alleged co-conspirators decide to go the path of Musawi and represent themselves, um, the they can then begin to request all manner of classified information that they want to uh, that they want revealed to them, and the, their Fifth and Sixth Amendment rights will guarantee them the opportunity to confront uh, government witnesses against themselves, to confront, uh, to look at the classified information that suggests um, their guilt or innocence, and so there'll be a variety of ways in which defense counsel will be able to bring uh, a series of challenges against the uh, against the government. Government's evidence, and so then the government's going to be placed in the position of having to then find adequate substitutions for the classified evidence that they might want to admit, and it also puts the it puts the defendants in the position where they can then uh, they can then argue that certain pieces of evidence should be uh, construed a certain way. I mean, the way this this would play out in court is that um, a defense counsel might uh, get the government to concede uh, that a, a certain piece of information that uh, let's say. Um, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed provided financing for the attacks, and maybe there's some bank records or something, or there's some other evidence that is somehow uh, that is somehow classified because of its source or method of gathering. Uh, the the government's put in the position of of conceding the defense uh, theory on why the evidence should be admitted, and then uh, it allows rather than the defense counsel uh, trying to convince jurors to draw an inference from a piece of evidence, instead the defense counsel can just say this piece of evidence stands for the proposition blank, whatever their proposition is, and the uh, government won't be able to rebut those types of statements. Um, but that's setting aside, uh, that's just sort of the, the trial strategy part, the, the actual uh, dealing with the pieces of evidence and ensuring that, uh, that uh, the defendants don't have access to classified information is a serious issue. You can appoint standby counsel, but, um, but a confrontation right is a personal right. So appointing standby counsel doesn't get around the fact that the defendant should be able to see the witnesses and the evidence against him. So um, if, if KSM were a rational actor um, and his compatriots were rational actors, they would go pro se on this and they would try and uh, make this the most difficult trial that, that the federal government's ever seen. Well, we need to take a short break at this point. When we return, we'll discuss the ongoing legal work in Guantanamo and the closing of Guantanamo. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. Don't miss out on the latest in new media marketing opportunities for your firm. 
Contact Deb Kernan at 781-551-9960 and learn all about the Web 2.0 revolution. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're back with attorney Tara L. Murray. She's the U.S. Counsel for Reprieve out of the U.K. And Gregory McNeil, a visiting assistant professor at Penn State's Dickinson School of Law. Well, Tara, this situation is somewhat reminiscent of um, the lawyer who, before he became president, John Adams, who defended the uh, eight uh, English soldiers who shot the um, colonists in the Boston Massacre. They were acquitted. Uh, as a consequence of his advocacy and perhaps the nations, the young nations are need to show the world that we would, we would give a fair trial to those soldiers. You see any parallels there? Between, uh, between the case of John Adams and, and what's taking place concerning the representation of Guantanamo prisoners. Right. Are we repeating history? Uh, I mean, I, I think, I think so in that we are at least standing up at this point with these five five prisoners and saying that uh, they are entitled to, uh, to, to a process, uh, to a process that uh, is time-honored uh, and that the rule of law will apply. Um, and so I, I definitely think that um, in that respect, we are we are following following in line with with what has happened uh, happened before, but I think that there are still several challenges uh, that are that are posed by by these cases, and not just these five cases, uh, but by the cases of the other over two hundred men who remain in Guantanamo, uh, and whose cases and whose fates are still unknown. Uh, and, and so, I mean, I, I well, I think that um, the determination by the Obama administration to go forward in civilian courts in these cases is definitely a step in the right direction. There's still a lot to be done in Guantanamo, and there's still a lot that needs to be discussed about what's what's going to happen there. Well, and just today, uh, President Obama said uh, that he's going to miss his own deadline for closing the detention center at Guantanamo Bay. What's the future hold for uh, Guantanamo? Is President Obama going to be able to resolve the situation there? Well, I mean, I, I don't think anyone is surprised that uh, the Obama administration is going to miss, miss its January 22nd deadline. Um, there's still a number of men who remain at Guantanamo, and their cases are, are kind of just, just sitting. Um, and, and so there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, I, I think that Guantanamo needs to close, and it needs to close soon uh, if, if Obama is going to make good on his, on his promise and his campaign commitment. Commitments. Um, I think Obama himself said that the facility and the abuses that have, have taken place there have cost the United States its moral authority, and I think that's true. Uh, and it's clear that although this, this January 22nd date won't be met, that the American public still needs to continue to put pressure on this administration to be accountable and to make good on, on its promises and commitments. And he still says next year sometime. Greg, what do, what do you see there? Yeah, I, th- I think I think the Obama administration ran into the practical realities of of the the nature of the persons detained in Guantanamo who were detained on uh, intelligence information. Uh, 
confusing battlefield um, information, and certainly at, at its height, there were, um, uh, I think, somewhere around 800 people, uh, many of whom have been released to, you know, your sort of foot soldier person who was improperly detained. Um, but now we've whittled the population down to about two, uh, a little over 200 people, of whom 65 people, the government, uh, both in the Bush administration and Obama administration, have conceded they would like to try, uh, ideally in a military commission. Uh, then another group who they've cleared for release, maybe 60 to 100 more. And then this sort of indeterminate group who are believed to be dangerous, but you can't try them. And so, you know, the, the first impression that everyone gets is that believed to be dangerous, but you can't try them might be, uh, it must be because they were tortured. That's a possibility, but that doesn't speak to the totality of all of the, all of the cases. There are some, uh, some individuals detained in Guantanamo who um, information was provided to uh, the United States government from a foreign intelligence service who said, you can know this information to know that this person is dangerous, but you can never reveal it in court. You can never disclose it. It's called originator-controlled intelligence information. And so basically, at any point in time, that foreign service can pull that intelligence back. So it's sort of this, you know the person is bad, but you can't do anything about it. Then there's another group where it's just the inferences start to pile up, but it's not enough to prove uh, prove a case in a court of law. And it's, at, it's the type of thing that would be adequate for a targeting decision or a detention decision on a battlefield, um, but not enough inform- not doesn't rise to the level to be able to uh, prove the case in a court of law. But they're definitely not the type of people that you'd want to release into the United States. And so the practical reality the Obama administration is facing is that you, they have to make a judgment. Do I release this one person who's detained with the possibility that they might commit an attack um, wherever they're released, or, or you know, uh, or do we err on the side of caution? And elected officials, uh, when they're candidates, they say one thing, but when they become elected officials and they're responsible for the decisions they make, they don't want to be on the receiving end of the wrong decision, um, releasing someone who might very well be dangerous. And that's the reality that they've walked into. Um, not to mention that. Uh, They've been less than successful in convincing um, allies to get on board with supporting the United States. Um, and that's largely because we're asking countries to take people um, whom we would never release into the United States, but we're saying, would you release these people into your country? And they sort of look at us and laugh. Well, uh, we have to, uh, uh, we've come pretty much to the close of our show. Uh, we would like to give each of you an opportunity to share your final thoughts on this topic with our listeners and also to tell our listeners how they can follow up with you uh, if they'd like to do that. So, uh, Greg McNeil, let's start with you, get your final sure. thoughts and uh, tell our listeners how they can follow up with you. Um, I th- you know, so I think what we're seeing now is that is a, a lot of legacy issues um, from a lack of a clear policy when we originally um, detained the individuals held in Guantanamo. But going forward, there's still a lot of people detained throughout the world, um, and the Congress really needs to step up and help the executive branch draft a, a durable, long-term detention policy for uh, for this conflict with uh, with Al Qaeda. Um, I'd love to talk more with your your listeners about this, and I can be reached uh, through my webpage, lawandterrorism.com. Thank you very much. And Tara Murray. Yes. I mean, as I stated earlier, I think that the discussion the discussion this afternoon has been about these, uh, this, the five men who are going to be facing trial by, by military, or excuse me, by a U.S. civilian court. But there are still several hundred, uh, over 200 men that remain at, at Guantanamo. And these men uh, who've been held 
by the U.S. without charge uh, for over eight, eight years. And I just want to correct something because I believe that um, Greg stated that he was under the impression that there were about 65 men who the Obama administration had indicated that, that they would be trying Um my understanding is that it's unlikely that, that more than 30 would be tried. And at the end of the Bush administration, only 27 uh, had been uh, charged in military courts. And so I think that number is, is a lot lower than that, than that, uh, that 65. But, um, but whatever it is, there's still a, a, the majority of men that are held at, at Guantanamo have continually been labeled as the worst of the worst, despite the fact uh, that, that they've, many have done nothing wrong. Um, something that has been shown by the fact that of the 38 habeas cases that have gone through the U.S. federal courts, the government has lost 30 times. Uh, and I, I just think it's time for the American public to start demanding that these men be treated fairly and that these men who were cleared of wrongdoing under the Bush administration, but still remain at Guantanamo, that they be released and that this stigma that's attached to them uh, be be ended. And so uh, if, if people would like to talk with me further or are interested in the work that Reprieve does, you can contact me at Tara, that's T-A-R-A dot Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y, at Reprieve.org.uk. Great. Well, that about does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. Remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. Let me add uh, my thanks to our guests for being with us today, taking the time to discuss this important topic uh, and remind our listeners that they can also find our shows in the podcast library on iTunes. Thanks a lot, Craig. I look forward to talking to you. Yep. We'll be back again (laughs) next week to discuss another great legal topic. When you want legal, think Lawyer to Lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.